and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you all. Hope you're all okay. Um, so just to open before we bring Claire up, one of the most influential books that I have read in my life was Falling Upward by Richard Rower. I don't know any, anybody ever read Falling Upward before. Absolutely fabulous, but I would highly recommend it. It really was a turning point in my life. The basic premise is that life is made up of two halves. Now, it's not referring to chronologically, i.e. when you're younger and when you're older, but more to do with spiritually and philosophically. Although I would say, one of the reasons why you hear so many people saying, if only I knew what I know now when I was younger, it could have saved me a lot of stress. When I was reading the book, it made a lot of sense. The idea is that those who humbly accept and acknowledge their falling and failures, the heartaches, the disappointments, are the ones who truly understand what rebirth and up looks like. At the time of reading, I was going through a very difficult period in my life, including a divorce. Lots was changing within the church and our understanding of faith and religion had largely been deconstructed at the time. Whilst there was no doubt that I'd acquired a lot of knowledge during this period and my experiences had pushed me to be strong and resilient, the whole thing was just a giant wrestle. One of the passages in their books reads this, in the second half of life, people have less power to infatuate you, but they also have much less power to control and hurt you. The journey to fulfillment involves finding the courage to go down into yourself and take responsibility for what's there, and that's all of it. For me, it was a giant call to spiritual maturity and a transformation as to how I view myself and the world around me. Life is full of contrast, the good, the bad, the joyful, the sad, the beautiful, and the ugly. When we approach life from the premise that things are separate and dualistic, we often struggle to make sense of life's experiences. In fact, our desperate attempt to reconcile them becomes the sole purpose of our existence. We feel guilt, sadness, shame, regrets, confusion, and even contempt and our now experience becomes largely shaped by these emotions. I quoted the scripture a few weeks back from Ecclesiastes that says, life is like a corkscrew not to be straightened out. Your life full of twists, turns, and unexpected corners is what gives you access to the wine. I have noticed as I get older, call it a midlife crisis if you will, I reflect more on my past experiences make peace with them and realize that they were all part of my story. Whether success, failure, pain or pleasure, you hold it far more lightly 
become less attached, and as I said earlier, own it and take responsibility for it without judgment. I can see unfolding in my life that as I become more centered in who I am in this very moment, my beliefs about the past and the way I view it begin to change. That doesn't mean that those things don't exist anymore, just my relationship to them change and is different. Things that would have once sent me into chaos and a fit of rage and anxiety no longer seem to have the same impact. It's not just the negative things though, but also the positive. Nostalgia of the good and positive can create the same barrier. I often look back at the showcases that I used to do years back when we did the Rock Academy of Dance in Yarda. The team I used to work with, all those people that I had influence on and the people who had an influence on my life. I often have an overwhelming sense of lack that it no longer happens. But my longing for something that has been leaves me trying to live my purpose now through the eyes of what was. Q wants to help guide people into their second half of life because it is here and exists that you, sorry, it is here that you can truly thrive. This is where transformation truly occurs. The accepting of your story is where you find a peace that the Apostle Paul says transcends all understanding. So on the back of that introduction, Q Kids, it's your time to go. And I think we've got a video before Claire comes up. So I hope you enjoy your morning. Thank you. Morning. So yeah, this morning, if you haven't already guessed it, I'm going to do a talk about regret. And I'm actually going to do a mix this morning of talk and discussion. Because I actually think the power of what Kev talked about with point and calling is really important. When we talk about these sort of topics... And as I talked to you this morning, I also think it's really important to disclose and be accountable and vulnerable. And I'd really encourage us this morning to be that when we take part in some discussions about regret. So, regret. I don't care who you are or what you say, we all have them. We've all had them, we all have them. And life nowadays, doesn't it, tells us that we should live a, a life free of regret, no regrets and all of that. But I'm not sure that's actually the best course of action in dealing with regret. And I'd like to offer you this morning maybe a different take on that. One could say that regret is not so much regret of the action, but perhaps of the fallout of the choice. Often, sometimes, we only have regret when the fallout didn't quite go to plan. Because we make choices, don't we, and decisions every single day, all day, that we don't even consider or think about. But there's those choices that bother us, and they can bother you for years. But why? Because regret is attached to guilt and shame. We can feel disappointed with something, but when we internalize it, it becomes a regret. And it's almost always about us blaming ourselves. It's never a regret directed at someone else. It's always an internal thing. You, you internalize it because it's about you. You're regretting something you've done. So the guilt kicks in, the unprocessed, and if unprocessed, it can dampen how we carry on living. So why talk about regret? Why do I want to talk about regret? We talk a lot about here about the light and the light that we carry and the light that we give out. And your light can mean different things to everyone. It could be your authentic self. It could be what you believe God is to you. It could be your spirituality. I can't label that for you. Only you can do that. But what energy we give out will be dependent on what energy we're giving 
into ourselves and how we present ourselves. And by harboring regret and processed, unprocessed guilt, we can lessen that impact as we can lean into being more fear-based. We don't want the same thing to happen again, so we can make ourselves smaller. Or in avoiding the hard stuff, we can prevent our growth. But it's not in the avoidance that's the issue, though. It's the regret of not. The longing to avoid pain and discomfort tends to be stronger than the yearning for pleasure. And I didn't realize this, but negativity actually in the human, human nature can actually be our default. And for some of us, and it's an involuntary response. It's our go-to. And fear, ironically, is much easier to maintain than joy or laughter. I mean, I don't know if you remember, we did a talk on joy and we revisited actually a couple of years ago. And it, apparently it takes more power in your mental state to stay joyful than it does to think about all the negatives. And we can all relate to that, can't we? You know, you can have a, 10 compliments and one not, and you'll remember the not. Um, so actually, it tends to be our default to kind of go down that way. And regrets, they fall into that category. So our response can then either be to avoid them, to bury them, or to wallow in them, harboring the guilt and shame and infecting our mental load with that perspective. I know for me, I, I realize that I've had a regret um, that I've carried through. Um, and is it meant that I can now try and redeem something through my actions? We can try and do that as well. We can try and make it better. But trying to somehow fix the regret of the past through my actions that's to something that no longer exists, the moment's gone. Where I felt I withheld something, I'm now making up for and correcting. But no matter what I do now, I can't make up the ground of the past. And as much as we'd like to go back and make things right, we can't. So on that basis, how can then we work with regret? Can someone get me a tissue, please? <laughs> Thank you. Um, they need to be reconciled. But reconciling something from the past can be tricky. People may have been hurt. And I can't always fix that. Some things may feel unredeemable. <laughs> Thank you. I was really conscious I sniff a lot. All right. And I can't not comment on how we can have a now perspective and look back. So you might have made a choice with confidence at the time and you thought, yeah, I, that felt like the right thing. But as we evolve and move on, we can then change our value systems and look back and think, well, I really regret I did that now. I, I do. I know I really regret the last words I spoke to my brother on his deathbed, but there's nothing I can do about that now, so how do we reconcile these things? After all, we can only be who we are in the moment and be true to that. So not all regrets are historical, but more me making that assessment from a now perspective. We need to somehow reconcile the contradictions do I need to learn to be more courageous in how I execute my choices now in those areas of regret? These are the topics that I'd like to open up and discuss this morning. The not. What's your not, your never, your regret? And this week I listened to some podcasts from a guy called Daniel H. Pink, who's an American author 
who wrote a book about the power of regret. And after he did an extensive study on it. Now, what he did is he got 16,000 people from 105 different countries, so different cultures, societies. And the regrets that he found were actually all quite similar. And no matter where in the world, what cultural background or societal surroundings, humanity is humanity. And the regrets exposed in, to Pink, uh, Daniel Pink, um, showed him that there are, there are actually four categories of regret that people tend to, 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 to fall into. And these are called the four core regrets. Number one, foundational regret. Not saving enough money, not taking care of my health, not doing well at school. It's all about our stability. If only I'd done the work. Boldness regret. Never had the guts. I didn't assert myself. Didn't go for that job. Didn't create that business. I was risk adverse and I played it safe. People regret when they didn't take the chance. But those who did and failed, interestingly, apparently often don't hold the same regret. If only I'd taken the chance. Moral regret. When you come to a moral juncture in your life and you have to make a choice and you feel like you didn't, make the right, didn't do the right thing. And this could mean something different now, like I said. If only I'd done the right thing. Connection regret. The way a relationship came apart. Burning bridges, falling out with family, losing touch with a friend, or have just been too busy. If only I'd reached out. Daniel Pink believes that regrets can actually be our breakthrough. Firstly, by looking inwardly at how you look at the regrets, then outwardly by disclosing those regrets, because it's good to talk. And your regrets can actually be a signal to how you can change. So I'd like us to take 10 minutes or so now to discuss our regrets with each other. Kev brought the idea of pointing and calling and being accountable is important. And Pink discovered that the more people disclosed their regrets, the better they felt, as rather than feel faced with judgment and shame, they felt a shared carrying of the load, a shared vulnerability, because we all have regrets. Shame will always tell us to hide, but it's in the coming out of the shadows that we can find healing and learn how to move forward. So here's the questions. Are they on the screen? Here we go. So. I'd like you to discuss what are your regrets. And I'd really like you to not be too disclosed, you know, be open, be raw and honest about it. And what core regret do you think they fit into? Is there a theme here of the same core? Don't put a positive spin on them if you can, or validate them. Simply share your regret and how, and explore what that makes you feel. Okay, you've got about... 10 or so minutes, and then we'll carry on. The top five regrets of the dying. Um, I can, I've kind of avoided this podcast, actually, because <laughs> I I've realized I talk about death a lot, by the way. Um, but it's because I actually have learned a lot through death, as a lot of you know. My brother passed away. Um, and actually, we, we don't normalize it enough. We, it, it becomes something that's quite taboo and scary and... And actually, it's a part of life we're all going to have to face. And there's some real 
stuff that you can learn from that and, and experience through those ex uh, experiences. That made sense. Anyway, so Bronnie Ware, I, I, I ended up listening to a podcast with her and it was absolutely brilliant. I left work early and went to the pub with James. That's what happened. Because <laughs> it did, it, it really made me think. Sometimes we get so caught up in the busyness of life and stuff. And, and whilst we have responsibilities and they're important, we can almost overdo that. And a lot of our regrets can come through those sort of things where we just don't make time for the things that actually make us happy and that we want to be doing more of. And the more you invest into your light in that sense and do the things that make your heart happy, the more you'll project, project that. And you can still do that and still have your responsibilities and the things you do in life. And so Bronnie Ware is a, a palliative care nurse and she worked for several years um, with the dying, which must have been really hard. And I've, I've been reading her book this week and I've found it brilliant. Um, there's some real wisdom in it um, and some real uh, learnings. Um, and that's why I really liked it because I liked that it challenged my mindset on what I value and what I see as important. Um, and knowing these regrets has affected how she lives her life. So the book's actually a memoir of her life and how what she's learned through those conversations has really changed her focus and how she lives. Uh, she's chosen to live more simply. She used to be a banker and work in the banking corporate environment. You'd never think that when you read this book and, and, you, and you see what she's like now. And she totally just turned that around and did something completely different. She talks about not worrying about expectations and overthinking and to be more courageous in your choices and actions in order to live a regret-free life, if there is such a thing. So the five top five regrets of the dying are, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself. I think that's sad that you get to that stage and you feel like that. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I think 90% of us in here could probably put our hands up to that. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. We've been talking about that on our table about boldness. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends and I wish I'd let myself be happier. So the, the lady who said that last one was a woman who felt that people would judge her because she'd made certain choices and actions in her life. She felt judged and actually that made her feel quite miserable. And she made herself smaller in order to accommodate that fear. And actually she said, I just wish I'd been happier because what it did is it made her quite an angry person and a bitter person. And that projected through her life. Um, so in the, her last days, actually, they decide to, she decides she's going to be happier and it's absolutely brilliant and there's a lot of laughter and a lot of good things. So mourning a life unlived. Your ending is not the definition of your life lived. And what I don't want to do, actually, with talking about the five regrets of the dying is I don't want to encourage us to live a life through the lens of your death because that could just be equally as fear-driven. I'm sharing this as, a, as an example to now and thinking... It just really makes you think about how you reflect on your life now and the choices that you're making. But what Bronnie Ware does in her thinking is show us what regrets are the most common and how we can live our lives free from those expectations and concerns. 
And the bit I love the most is that she encourages to live more courageously. And I really love that word. So what does living more courageously look like? Maybe it could be to make the bold move. To, to, to say what you want to say. To be more authentic. To take that move. Be more bold. It might be to restore the connection lost. Or if that ship sailed, then reconcile and forgive it. It could be to start rebuilding the foundations again, because it's never too late. I heard a phrase this week that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. I loved that. I loved that. It's so true, though, isn't it? It's like Joel was saying on our table, you know, you can only really deal with the now. And, and, and whatever you do with your past regrets, you're just bringing them into your now thinking. So you've always got to start now. You know, you might want to make better moral choices. Think about how the regrets, that works for your regrets that you've talked about. Some of us might need to make just some small changes and choices. But some may need to be making more monumental changes and choices. Only you can decide. Is there such a thing as regret-free living? Possibly, probably. But that's really dependent on us and how we're willing to process things. Every choice has a cost. Most of the time we don't consider it until it feels it's cost us something. What have your regrets cost you? Freedom has a price. Is your way of life adding value to it? It can be easy to look back and see things more clearly. We're looking through a lens based on the outcome of what we've since experienced. But we all make mistakes. That's a given. It's part of being human and living life. But whether a mistake becomes a regret is really a matter of your own opinion and your own self-judgment. It's the self-judgment that becomes the problem and what we then carry forward. We were discussing on our table how you can sort of then try and live a life redeeming that. Treat yourself with kindness rather than contempt. Recognize regrets are part of the human condition and they are a moment of your life and not a full measure of your life. Go from self-judgment to self-compassion and we've got something to work with there, haven't we? Be kinder to yourself. The worst thing you can do for yourself is to bury the regret or wallow in the regret. Instead, we need to address it which is what I'm trying to encourage us to do today. And the other thing I thought was great is ask yourself, what would the future you want? Which core matters the most? Does it matter if you regret going out for dinner tonight or getting that takeaway? Or does the opinion of others need to matter? If my worst fears happen, what's the worst that can happen? If I had a conversation with me 10 years from now or on my deathbed, does it matter more to me that I took the bold move, that I was true to myself, that I re rebuilt that connection, or that I took the risk to show love and be vulnerable? What will have the better impact on me now and moving forward? What would future you want? Daniel Pink said, and I thought this was brilliant, a regret is the reverse image of what we value. A photographic negative, this is a quote, of the good life. Think about that. 
What you regret the most actually shows you what you value the most. I love this. As what it does is show you how your regrets can be a signal to you. They show you what you didn't want to happen and what you did want to happen. It shows you what you valued or you value now. Each of the core regrets show us what we fundamentally need as humans. Foundational regrets show us that we want stability. Boldness regrets show us that we want to learn and grow and do something with our lives, to feel the exhilaration of being bold. Moral regrets expose in us that we want to do the right thing. We have a moral compass. Connection regrets show us that we want love, but love in a broader sense of connection with others. Regrets point the way to a deeper way of life. It's showing you what you value. So this leads me to the next part of my discussion. If you could put the slide up, please. I'd like us to discuss and ask ourselves this. Oh, I didn't write it down, sorry. <laughs> what do your regrets show you about what you valued and you value now? What does living more courageously look like to you moving forward in reflection of those regrets? And what small choices can you make or monumental changes? Hoping there'll be some of those. And remember to be kind to yourself. Remember to be kind to yourself and show yourself some self-compassion. Right, okay, you've got another 10 or so minutes and then we'll wrap up. I hope you've enjoyed this morning and I hope you've had some time to think about your regrets and how moving forward you might want to live more courageously. The clean slate, hopeful, full of possibility. What does that mean though? Because our historical church beliefs would have us believe it's about redemption, forgiveness of sins for a clean slate way of life. But as a house, Q's moved on from that. So in the universal Christ perspective, how does reconciling our regrets land here? What's a clean slate? There's a thing in photography, I could just put the picture up, called the sweet light, and I love this. I'm just going to quickly read a little extract. Chasing the sweet light. Have you ever wondered why sunrises and sunsets are so colourful, and why are some more orange and some more red? Light travels in waves, and all of the colours in the visible spectrum have different frequencies, the cool colours like violet, blue and green have the shortest wavelengths and the warmer colours have the longest. All the waves travel together at the same speed until they hit the Earth's atmosphere. During the day, the light comes from above and travels through relatively little atmosphere. So all the wavelengths stay together, combining to make white light. But when the sun is low on the horizon, when the dark and the sun mix, the light has to travel through much more atmosphere. Particles suspended in the air will actually block the light waves and refract them into different directions. This is the time that photographs call, photographers call the sweet light. The light at this time is also better because it's coming from the side rather than the top. So it emphasizes the shape of objects and people. And in the, in the autumn, the sun is already lower in the sky, so the sweet light colors tend to be even more dramatic enhancing your sunset and making the fall colours pop. I love this. I love a metaphor, you know I do. And I love this metaphor. The sweet light, where the waves, depending on the atmosphere, 
they had to pass through creates beautiful colours and emphasises the shape of people, how things are seen. We have our own atmospheres that we have created for ourselves through our regrets and how we have shaped ourselves. What light can do, though, if we allow it, is push through the atmosphere left by our regrets and emphasise who we really are, colourful and remarkable. Life was never meant to be a simple light versus dark war, about redeeming our sins, to live the pressure of a sinless life, but about the two emerging to create beautiful colours. It's always been about living a whole life, a full life, a colourful life. I can't stand here today and say you're never going to have regrets. Everything's going to be tickety-boo. There's a happy ending to this. Because that isn't life. So the more we embrace the wholeness and the beautifulness and the colourfulness of life, and even the crappy dark times can teach us something and shape us and help us if we allow the light to pass through that atmosphere. Because in those negative experiences, we can learn to brighten our shine. A couple of years ago, Hannah and Joel did a talk, which is awesome, and I recommend you re-listening to it, called The Inseverable Bond. And they talked about this very thing, about the light and the dark. And I'm just going to quote it. What if everything in creation, including us and the darkness we experience, is in a process of becoming enlightened? All the world, including the darkness, should become a source of light. Your essential self lies in an inseverable bond with the source of light which extends to illuminate. So... When we live courageously and we are willing to embrace our dark within our light, we can project a more beautiful way of being that will be more attractive to ourselves and others, pushing through the atmosphere. It does not mean we live a life without further regrets, guilt and grief, but in being more conscious and willing to let our darker stories be illuminated our troubles, failings, fears and regrets don't need to be a block for us, but an opportunity for an awakening. They are our guides, signals, warning signs on how to live more effectively. It does not mean I will live a challenge-free life or not be hurt or feel disappointment because they are the collateral beauty, the colour I believe the clean slate comes when we're willing to not let our regrets crush us, but when we can reconcile them to become the source of light which extends to illuminate the darkness and bring colour to our stories. We're not here to fight an enemy, but to discover more truth about ourselves. Then the slate is wiped clean because the knots, the nevers and the regrets become part of what it is to be wholly human. Everything part of the same story and not a separation of good life that needs to be achieved or a bad life that needs to be buried, but a story that can have a new chapter, be rewritten and be the source for a happier ending. You are here to be the light, bringing out the God colours in the world. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this morning. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. 
feel free to drop us an email to info at qyorg.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyorg.co.uk which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>